We have an anchor. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When the clouds unfold their wings of strife? When the strong tides lift and the cables shrink? Will your memory verse for this coming week comes from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. Let's say this together. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, 3. And so we'll work on this for next week, and verse 2 will be for tonight that you've been working on this past week. I do want to welcome our first-time guests. Uh, We're always delighted to have guests and travelers, too. And uh, glad you uh, are faithful to be in the Lord's house today and trust it as a blessing to you as much as it is for us today. On Sunday, September 17th, the Foothills Baptist Church family will be celebrating our 52nd anniversary. 
We would like to invite our TV radio audience to come and help us celebrate what God has done through the years. The service begins at 9.30 and will be followed by lunch. Along with celebrating our 52nd anniversary, we would like to designate September as Letter Month. While we have been on cable TV for many years, this is our first year with the radio broadcast. We would like to hear what this ministry means to you. You may send an email to fbcloveland at aol.com. That's fbcloveland at aol.com or a letter to P.O. Box 771 Loveland, Colorado 80539. That is P.O. Box 771 Loveland, Colorado 80539. Let's sing hymn number 517, I Am Resolved. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have alert my sight. above. 
for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, His precious blood to plead. His blood atoned for all our race, His blood atoned for all our race, and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds He bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers, they strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransom sinner die. The Father hears him pray, his dear anointed one. He cannot turn away the presence of his Son. His Spirit answers to the blood, His Spirit answers to the blood, and tells me I am born of God. I now am reconciled, His pardoning voice I hear, He owns me for His child, I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh, with confidence I now draw nigh, and Father above Father cry. Luke chapter 13 this morning, please. Luke chapter 13. I noticed we had a traffic jam in the parking lot this morning. Oh. <laughs> That's good news. Luke chapter 13, and uh, stand if you're able to with me in honor of God's Word. And uh, we'll read uh, verse 1 through verse 9. Luke chapter 13. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Are those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell, and slew them? Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also till I shall dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that, thou shalt cut it down. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your many mercies to us. We thank you once again that we are able to assemble in this place and hear our pastor preach the word of God. We pray your blessing upon him as he delivers uh, this message from your word. We pray that you'll speak to each heart here today, meet the needs of each heart, and each life, thank you again for your many, many blessings and for this uh, precious word of God that we hear this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Be seated.
this passage deals with one of the oldest arguments of humanity. I'm really not that bad because I'm not as bad as somebody else. And you know, we still hear this today. The typical criminal that is a thief, a violent rioting and looter and burning could say, I'm not as bad as Nero or Saddam Hussein and his sons. Or the corrupt politician could say, I'm not as bad as those violent rioters that are looting the city and burning the city. I'm not as bad as them. Then you take the average lost person, maybe a, a true patriot who thinks, drinks, cusses, practices occasional adultery, he could say he's not as bad as the corrupt politicians. Also, there is that unsaved person who is ethical in all his dealings, a dependable worker, a real asset to the community, reaches out to others, uh, normally very faithful uh, to his wife or to her husband, goes to church maybe on Easter or Christmas, could say, I am better than the person that is a marital cheat and an alcoholic. But then you have the religious person, the one saved, who regularly attends church and has many of the characteristics of a believer, with the exceptions of a real problem with either pride or anger, yet he would or she would say, I'm better than all the above. I'm not as bad as they are. You see, I'm not as bad because I'm better than somebody else. Now, let me show you a couple of verses. And this is the the theme that Christ is dealing with in this passage and the issue that he is dealing in this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. The Word of God says, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. What it is saying When you try to compare to somebody who is worse than you to justify that you're okay, you're not wise in God's eyes. Now take Romans 3, 10 through 12. You see, we always use ourself as the standard of being good enough, and we have somebody else that we can find that is worse so we can justify being good enough. But that should not be the standard. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, and then I'll drop down to verse 23, uses God's holiness as the standard. As it is written, there is how many? None righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all. It's not most, many, some. What's the word there? All gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And then verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, there's no exemptions. There's no loopholes. It's all inclusive. Every man, woman, and child that exists must come to this threshold of the standard of God and realize that all have sinned and fallen short of His glory, and there's no exemptions, and we must repent and put our faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, here's the question that I want to pose to you before we look at this passage. To whom do you compare yourself? To whom do you compare yourself? To someone worse than you? Or do you compare yourself to that perfect holiness of God? With that understanding, let's look at the issue brought to Jesus and his response. In chapter 13, verse 1, it talks about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Let me give you a little background about this incident and what they're talking about. We understand that this is known only by God's word. Now, that doesn't minimize the validity of it because we believe God's word is true and we believe every word of it. Uh, but we understand there's no secular recording or they've not been able to find a secular recording to, to validate or, or not necessarily validate, but to go along with this. But, but here's what we understand. Tiberius was a brutal, vile ruler that hated the Jews. And he had appointed a procurator in the Jerusalem region at one point that was a little bit to his thinking. And under that, that particular uh, sub-leader had gone through four uh, high priests there in Jerusalem because he was trying to find somebody that would agree with the hostility towards the Jews at large. And they finally found Caiaphas. And he was the high priest just, uh, and I believe it was his son-in-law that became the high priest at the time they crucified Christ. And he was party to all of their evil and compliant with it. And so understanding that this was the time of what was happening. Now, according to Josephus, the Galileans were a very troublesome and seditious people. They were always causing trouble. They rejected the Roman government. They didn't like it. They opposed it. They spoke out against it. And so Pilate did not like it. And when several Galileans had gathered to offer their sacrifices, Pilate heard about it, sent some soldiers, and massacred them while they were offering their sacrifices. Now, when it talked about their blood being mingled with sacrifices, we would understand that it's not talking about how they sacrificed animals and humans at the same time. But while these Galileans had come to offer their sacrifices, as was commanded by the law, and they were in the process, they would slit the throat of the animal, the blood would pour out, and they would go through the proper uh, procedures commanded by law. They were in the midst of this, and the soldiers came in and just slaughtered all of those Galileans. So their blood poured out into the midst of the blood of the goats, the bulls, and whatever they were offering. Now, the people who brought up this issue were very prejudiced against the Galileans. They didn't like the Galileans. You know, we deal with that in America and other countries. Every country has its prejudice and, and issues to overcome. But they didn't like the Galileans. And because they didn't like the Galileans, they thought that these Galileans were more evil than the Judeans and deserved this death. You see, we're not as bad as the Galileans. We're okay. Jesus Christ said, I tell you nay, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Then he comes back and says, in verse 4, he brings up a job site tragedy that involved Judeans. 
And what was happening, it talks about that tower that fell on 18 men that were killed in a project by the Pool Salome. What had happened <clears throat> is Pilate and, and others uh, in the Roman government, they had come in and they had confiscated or stole the money out of the temple treasury. And any of the synagogue treasury, they had stolen the majority of that money. And they were using that money to build an aqueduct uh, for water to bring it into the pool Siloam. And somewhere along this way, a tower had been poorly constructed. And 18 Judean Jewish workers were killed when it collapsed down upon them. Well, the general thinking was... That these people who brought this issue up as Judeans, they thought they were better than those Judeans because those 18 knew that that was money stole out of the temple and they were there working and taking that money and helping them to use the stolen money. And so they thought, we're not as bad as they are. We're okay. And so he knocked down that barrier of prejudice between Judeans and Galileans, and then he tore down that barrier between those that thought they were better as Judeans and those who were thought to be worse Judeans. And he said, Nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. You see, within the context, he was dealing with this oldest argument of humanity. I'm not as bad as somebody else. I'm better than they are, so I'm okay. And I don't need repentance in my life. Now, in these verses, Jesus is correcting two major misnomers that people take on. First, that such tragedies are always the direct hand of God's wrath. They looked at the killing of those Galileans as the direct hand of God's wrath. They looked at the uh, killing of the 18 workers with a fallen tower at Siloam. Uh, they looked at that as the direct hand of God's wrath. Please understand that that is not always the case. Now, there are times where God's wrath is executed upon a city, uh, the world, an individual, and it is the direct hand of God. We have the testimony of the Noahic flood. That was a direct hand of God's wrath upon all the people except eight that had rejected God and turned away from God. That was a direct hand of God. We have the testimony from the scriptures that there was a direct hand of God's wrath upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their moral perversion. And because of their intense moral perversion, even today, morally perverted people are frequently referred to as Sodomites because that was the sin that God judged those two cities for and the other cities surrounding. That was a direct hand of God's wrath because of their evil. It was the direct hand of God's wrath when Uzziah went into the temple to offer incense and in the process of violating God's plan and God's way of worship, he was struck with leprosy immediately and ushered out of the temple. So yes, there have been occasions where God's wrath was directly executed upon someone or many because of evil. Then, too, sin has its own consequences. 
and people get involved in sin and get involved in evil, there's the consequences that go with it. They get drunk and go driving and, and, and wreck and kill themselves and others. That's the consequences of, of such a sinful behavior. A pregnant mother is given to alcohol and, and gives birth to a, a, a fetal alcohol baby with fetal alcohol syndrome. That's the consequences of sin. And we could go on. The moral, uh, the immorality and the moral perversion that has produced the, the STD diseases and some of them yet uncurable. And so sin brings its own consequences. You have the sin of anger and uncontrollable anger. You're going to have the consequences. Sometimes you can't keep a job. Don't blame that on God. Uh, you, you, you destroy your family relationships. Don't blame that on God. You see, sin has its own consequences. But we also need to understand that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. The Bible tells us that. And you will find very wicked people who live to old age, and you wonder, how did they manage to live to 90-something? Uh, I was listening to uh, uh, something on the radio, and a man is in his 90s, going to s- celebrate his, I think, 94th birthday, and he is the producer of a very wicked TV program out of the 70s and 80s. How does a guy like that live that long? And you'll find several wicked people that live into old age, in spite of... You will find very godly individuals that will die in their youth. And so we need to understand that this is not the time, this is not the era when God is on a widespread, all-inclusive judging sin. That will happen in the end. For the believers... We will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ for our service, not to determine whether we will get into heaven, but to determine the rewards that we will receive. All of the unsaved will be judged at the great white throne judgment, not to determine whether they will escape hell and make it to heaven, but to make them give an account for their evil deeds and their rejection of Jesus Christ. They're not going to be able to blame and said, well, I went to a church and that preacher was so bad. And so I give up church. I gave up God. I gave up uh, everything and I wanted to live my own life. and, and, And it's the preacher's fault. That won't stand before God at the great white throne judgment. There will be no excuses that will work. You'll have to take full responsibility before God. Number one, for rejecting His salvation. You can't blame it on anybody. And I know there have been preachers that have had bad behavior. There have been deacons who have had bad behavior. There have been treasurers and clerks and and members and, and Christians that have had bad behavior that have brought a reproach upon the name of Jesus Christ that turned people off from Christ. But my friend, that'll never fly as an excuse before God because your salvation is between you and God. There's no exceptions. There's no loopholes. And so first he deals with that wrong thought that people die because they are more wicked than others. You'll find even the book of Psalms, I believe it is Psalm 2, David says, why do the heathen rage? 
Why is it the heathen and all of their paganness and their violence and wickedness and corruption? How is it that they prosper? How is it they succeed? Because now is not the time God is judging all of that. The second misnomer is people often believe that it is only people who are more evil than they are that need to repent. Because I'm good enough. And that's what he was dealing with here. Twice Christ said, except ye, you yourself, you need to take this and nobody else and everybody else, whatever it is, uh, it's as though he's speaking to every person from creation beyond. But it is all centered upon you, you, me, every individual. He says, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. There's no exception. Christ deals with two levels of repentance, both personal and national. In verses 1 through 5, he's dealing with personal repentance. He's talking about you personally. Except ye personally repent, ye shall perish. But when he gets to verses 6 through 9, he is dealing with national repentance. And in verses 6 and 9, he's talking about Israel as a nation that needed to repent and accept Christ as their Messiah. The parable that is given, the three years, that's the uh, length of his public ministry, reaching out to Israel as a nation. And, and there was the preaching of repentance, that, that they would repent of their sin and repent of the rejection of Christ and receive him as their Messiah. Christ stood uh, up over Jerusalem and said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I gather thee as a chicken, her, her, or as a hen, her chicks, and you would not. And they continued to reject. And then he says, we'll give them a little more time. And even after they crucified, they had a little more time. But in AD 70, the city was destroyed and they were dispersed because they never did accept or repent. That was a national problem. As I said, the context is speaking of Israel's national repentance. However, the principle prevails. We really have no controls or, or not much of an influence over the nation of Israel today. We can send missionaries, we can preach the gospel and see people saved and changed from the bottom up. But we can apply this principle to America. I do understand the church is not Israel. Israel is not the church. America is not Israel. But there are prevailing principles that God hath ordained for any nation. And you will find that even Gentile nations like Nineveh, when they repented in sackcloth and ashes, God held back his wrath. But it was a principle of national repentance, but it involved widespread with that. Here's the principle that we can apply to America. As America, we have forsaken God. We, is, we have forsaken His principles. We have tried to kick prayer out of everything. We have tried to kick the uh, listing of the Ten Commandments out of the courthouses, out of libraries, out of government buildings. 
everywhere we can because I don't want to see them. Now, I know and I know somebody's going to say we're not under law, we're under grace. That's true. However, get this, Christ specifically said, I did not come to destroy the law, that's the moral law, but to fulfill the law, and he fulfilled both the moral and the ceremonial law in every detail. The church age is not an era to live in anarchy, spiritually speaking, where there is no right and wrong. In fact, in 1 John, when John was writing to the churches and to the believers... He said uh, that sin is a transgression of the moral law. And so the moral law still tells us what is right and wrong. And, And it's still a sin to use God's name in vain on any level. It's still a sin to steal. It's still a sin to commit adultery. And that list goes on. And we have tried to kick out God's principles of right and wrong. And we have become a very corrupt, wicked, and morally perverted nation in so many ways. Mark this down. National repentance, though, will never happen until there's widespread personal repentance. So many people, and especially in the conservative movement, want the president to repent. Senators to repent, governors to repent, mayors to repent, and the list can go on in both elected and bureaucratic officials. And they want them to repent. However, they won't see this as they should because they think they, the elected people, are worse than themselves. And if they would repent, our country would change. Do you know what? Just because you see the president as worse than you does not mean that you are right with God. Just because you see our governor as worse than you does not mean that you are right with God. You can talk about a senator, you can talk about a mayor, you can talk about any elected official, bureaucratic official, and you can see them as worse than you, and they may be. But that doesn't make you right with God. And until on a widespread basis, the individual citizens of America put God as their standard of what's right and wrong and see their need for personal repentance, we will never see national repentance. Because you'll still elect the wrong characters to the office to make way to do what you want to do, which is not right with God. Jesus Christ said, except ye, that's on a personal basis. Now, let me say this. Praise God if the president, the governor, the senator, the congressman, the mayor, whoever it is, praise God when they see God's holy standard and repents to be right with God. Praise God for that. But my friend, that's not enough. Except ye, you personally, repent, ye shall all likewise perish. No exemptions, no loopholes. We have to agree, Jesus calls and commands repentance. And it is still to be a part of our preaching today. There are a lot that have tried to eliminate it. It is still, you do a study of this this subject in the New Testament, and you will find it still applies for the church era. I want to quote in a lengthy paragraph the late Dr. Harry Ironside on repentance. Repentance. 
The call to repentance is one of the missing links to the preaching of modern times. Now understand, he has passed away quite some time ago, and I wonder what he would think today. Most preachers are afraid to speak of repentance or no longer believe in its need. Repentance is not the work of merit. Repentance is an acknowledgment that one has no merit, that in himself he is just an undeserving sinner exposed to the judgment of God. God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. The Bible says that. Repentance is not to be confused with mere penitence. Penitence is sorrow for sin, but we are told godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. It is not mere sorrow because one has done wrong. I may grieve in my heart to think of the wrong I have done, of the injury I have caused another, and yet I may not really be repentant toward God. Repentance is not to be confounded or confused with what some call penance. Penance is an effort to atone for something which one has done by suffering voluntarily. But no physical suffering or self-denial can ever make up for the wrong we have done to God or to man. Repentance is not to be confused with reformation. Some people have the idea that repentance is trying to break off from their sins and live righteously. There may be reformation, in other words, changing your life or turning over a new leaf, And you may have that apart from repentance. But there never can be true repentance without reformation. Because if it really, if I really repent, I shall certainly seek to reform my life. The word repent means a change of mind. It is not merely a change of viewpoint. It's not like change, which one might make, for instance, from driving a Ford to a Chevy or vice versa. That is not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind, which results in a complete change of attitude. When a man who has been living in sin and utter indifference to God confesses his sin and judges his wickedness and earnestly seeks to be delivered from it, when he is determined to walk, not in his old ways or life as he formerly lived, but turns to God, he had spurned and put his truth in what the Savior has provided. This is genuine repentance. We read in the Bible of repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. The repentant man now finds in Christ not only a Savior from all his sin and guilt, but also one who gives him a new life in order that he may walk henceforth in a new way. He will no longer in bondage to those things live, which dominated and controlled him in the past. Except ye all repent, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Let me bring this home to each individual To whom do you compare yourself? Are you comparing yourself to someone who is worse than you or to the perfect holiness of God? We will always find someone worse than us. And some of the vilest people you see and think are some of the most vilest, they too can find somebody that is probably worse than them and not recognize the sense to repent because they think they're not that bad. You see, we need to maintain the holy standard of God. 
and see ourselves as God sees us. Repentance has been lost in, it, in the preaching because preachers are on a mission to build big churches so they look good with their empire and make bigger money and, and have bigger fame. And so they don't want to preach about repentance and they don't want to get specific about sin because they might offend somebody and they won't give money and they won't show up in church. But my friend... They are pathetic doctors of no value, as Job called them. Because they put up barriers between you and the gospel and an opportunity to receive Christ as Savior. My friend, if I were a fireman and your house is on fire, I would be a pathetic fireman if I did not do everything to knock the door down, break holes through the window, break holes through the roof to get down and get you out and spare your life from a burning inferno. As a preacher, there is something far worse. A house that burns down can only bring physical death. But if you reject Jesus Christ, it brings eternal death and an eternal burning in hell. If I don't get pushy, if I don't get vocal, if if I don't cry out, if I don't care whether you get saved or don't get saved, what a pathetic preacher I am. And if I try to take you down a wrong escape as a firefighter that only leads to more fire... What a pathetic firefighter I would be. And if I try to give you good feelings and try to cover up a conscience and try to do something to make you feel good about yourself in your sin and in your condition, what a pathetic preacher I would be. I do not cry out there is a hell. I do not cry out and try to put the fear of God in you simply because I want to do something and make you move, but because we have compassion, because we care, we don't want to see you burn eternally in hell. So we must be frank. We must be compassionate. We must be honest. We must... Tell the truth, just as Jesus Christ took the occasion where people came. And I don't think he was unkind, but he was very straightforward. And I'm sure many were offended by his straightforwardness of truth. But nobody can accuse him of being unloving because nobody has loved more than Jesus Christ who laid his life down on the cross to pay your sin penalty. But he was straightforward. My friend... The Bible says, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. There are no exemptions, no loopholes. We were not talking in this case of simple physical death. We are talking about an eternal spiritual death where you will be cast into hell, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. For even the worm dieth not. Enveloped in all of the great love of God, I reach out and say, if you have not repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, do so today.
do so today. Jesus is calling. Jesus is reaching out. He is not willing that any should perish, but is long-suffering. That is the goodness of our God. Oh, what a wonderful Savior He is indeed. Father, we come to You, and and, uh, Lord, take this message, I, I plead. Break down the walls of of resistance, of pride. Help them to see and understand that no one is good enough. I wasn't good enough. I had to come through repentance and faith. And so, Father, I pray that you would use this message. Whether it be somebody here in the auditorium that is without Christ and needs to be saved today, Save them, bring them, convict them to rip, bring them to con- to repentance and faith. Somebody watching this on TV, listening to it on the radio or on the website, God, I pray that you would use this message, biblical truth, to pierce the heart and bring brokenness unto repentance. I pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Foothills Baptist Gospel Hour. For more information about Foothills Baptist Church of Loveland, Colorado, you may visit our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com. If you wish to donate to this radio ministry, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Once more, please make your check payable to Foothills Baptist Church and mail to P.O. Box 771, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Or you may go to our website at foothillsbaptistchurch.com and click on the Give tab. We would love to have you visit our regular Sunday services with morning worship at 9.30, Sunday school at 10.50, and Sunday evening at 5 o'clock. And until we meet again... Be sure you are living by faith, living by faith in Jesus above, in Jesus above, trusting, trusting confiding in His great love. Yes, in His great love. From all harm, safe from all harm, safe in His sheltering arm, His sheltering arm. I'm living by faith. I'm living by faith.
grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Mike Morris, owner of Warriors Revolution Tactical in Longmont. At Warriors Revolution, we have the largest selection of tactical gear and ammo in northern Colorado. But what many people may not know is that we now sell firearms. And even despite the recent run on firearms and ammunition, we have plenty of product in the store, including ARs, AKs, Glocks, SIGs, HK, and more. And don't forget all the bulk ammunition at the best prices in town. Need to do a private firearms transfer? We can do that, too. I am a veteran of the United States Marine Corps. And our team is made up of veterans and security experts, not a bunch of salesmen. Our team is trained and fought with much of the actual equipment we sell. 
The one thing you should know is that we support the foundations and principles this great country was founded upon. So if you need tactical gear, ammo, firearms, AR parts or upgrades, and even survival accessories, stop by and visit us on Ken Pratt Boulevard and Bowen Street in Longmont. Or visit warriorsrevolution.com. That's warriorsrevolution.com. Wow, it's so soft and smooth. It's cool to the touch. How did you do that? Well, we took my pillow's patented fill and combined it with this new technology that we didn't have back then when I invented my pillow to bring you the best pillow in history, my pillow 2.0. Because of all of you, my pillow 2.0 has been a huge success. And now we're bringing you our best selling go anywhere my pillows with the same temperature regulating technology. Made with my patented adjustable fill and brand new cooling fabric, they're truly the next generation of my pillow. So go to mypillow.com, use your promo code KHNC to save over 60% on our MyPillow 2.0 four pack special. You'll get two MyPillows and two Go Anywhere MyPillows, regular $259.92, now only $99.98. King size, just $10 more. This is a limited time offer, so please order now. KHNC. This is Steve at Ramsey Auto Group. Hey, this is Mike from Ramsey Auto Group. Just stopping in to say hi, let you know that we're still open, still in business, and still rocking and rolling. You know, if you're looking for a good car experience, come see us. We have old school values. We still operate by handshake. We're not pushy. We want you to be happy, and uh, we have a great selection of trucks. 6175 West 10th Street, Greeley. 970-443-5654. 970-443-5654. Are you looking to sell your excess construction equipment? Trust Steffes Group's team of professionals to get you the best return on your investment. Steffes Group is a nationally recognized leader in the auction business with over 60 years of experience. Their team of professionals prioritize honesty, integrity, and outstanding service, and they work with you every step of the way to ensure a smooth and successful auction process. Go to steffesgroup.com right now to find a sales representative near you and discuss your options today. This is Rick Rodriguez. Christ said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Join me on Sundays from 9 to noon for the Olive Tree and Lampstand Ministry Radio Church Program on 1360 AM KHNC. Hi, this is Tammy Cuthbert Garcia with Naturally Inspired Radio. Tune in Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. for the latest in natural health news. Get real solutions for healthy living and hear from our inspiring guests that are leading the way in health and freedom. You're listening to the Roar of the Rockies, KHNC, 1360 AM, Johnstown, Greeley, Loveland, Fort Collins. The views and opinions expressed on 1360 KHNC are entirely those of the host.